Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run podcast. I'm Ryan from TheMoonIsDeadWorld.net and ColdSploitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Um, we are talking, we're, we're actually, we're in the midst of Remake a Ween, our Halloween special edition uh, that we're doing all of September and October. Uh, it's a long-running series because we've got a lot in store for you. Lots of remakes. A lot of content. A lot of content. We're a content-positive network. Yeah, some would call us, um, I I don't know. what. Generous. Yeah, sure. Generous. Um, Amazing. Hardworking. <laughs> Just patting our own backs. Superlative. Here. Yeah. Um, Where, where's Jeff Daniels to... I know. ...to use those... That's where you probably learned half... It's probably where you learned half those adjectives, just like watching Jeff Daniels and taking notes. Yeah, that's true. Be like, I don't know what he said there, but I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I'm going to use it later. Uh, no, we're back today. Uh, it's number two in our remake Ween special. <laughs> and uh, we're talking, and this is kind of a cheat, I feel like, but Martin doesn't. It's not a cheat. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we're back with It, the 2017 film. Um, Who? <laughs> I know, we're getting into those those pronouns. Get into that, like, Abbott, uh, not Abbott, yeah, Abbott and Costello game. Yep, yep. I'm saying saying the pronoun and not understanding what you're talking about. Yeah, we're talking about It, the 2017 horror film um, that was in production hell for a long time and eventually uh, made its way to the big screen. Um, and I call it a cheat on the remake part because technically it's more of of a, a adaptation of Stephen King's book rather than a remake of the TV miniseries from 1990. Which is also an adaptation of Stephen King's book. It so. is. I I think the, the the area that we the great area that we get into here is that the film, this film, 2017's it, is much more uh, related to Stephen King's book than it is to the miniseries. Because the miniseries didn't do a very good job of um, using Stephen King's novel and the things that happen in that to present the story well to be fair it aired on national television in 1990 that's true so it was a rough time it was a mini series two episodes something four if, hours something that if they were going to do like a mini series of probably should have been up like hbo or showtime yeah. if you if you wanted like a, a much closer adaptation of the book itself and like graphic content something that could get it a little bit more into the because you're not going to be able to do that on primetime television right yeah this was um i mean for the time they got away with probably you know able to do a lot more than you'd expect but i mean even still it's not it's uh content's not really meant for uh well it's almost it's meant more for like easy digestion the 1990 miniseries was very much about 
uh, easily digestible bits that would appeal to the mass market. And I think you see that in when you go back and rewatch that remake, or not remake, of uh, that original miniseries, in, rather than this remake, is that that original one was very, you know... It, it wasn't dedicated to horror fans. It wasn't even really dedicated to people who, who read Stephen King. It was more of a mass market appeal to like, hey, you know, maybe people who uh, watch primetime TV will get a kick out of this. And we can get two nights out of it for the ratings. So it was kind of like a, a rating scrap. And any time... With all these big name actors like young Seth Green. Yeah. John Ritter. Tim Curry. Yep. I mean, that is that is in itself a surprise for the 1990 film, was that they were able to get so many so many big-name stars. Asshole with ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that very early 90s, like, ponytail look. That, that That's a terrible. That's always fun. It's a terrible look. I, the mullet looks so much better than that. If you're going to, like, have long hair like that, just let, let, it, <laughs> let it flow and let it go. Don't, you know, tie it back so you look like, you know, like... I'm a computer nerd, guys. Stereotypical computer nerd of the '90s, you know. Let me fix. Let me fix your eight megabyte computer, you know. So I haven't watched that remake or that uh, the original in a while. I it's been even... a long time for me, and I had like I like I said, I was telling you, I had to watch clips to kind of kind of get like a overall feeling gist. Yeah, I mean, I I like I said, I saw bits and pieces of it not too long ago. Um, but I feel like if I were to go back, I'm surprised your dad doesn't make you watch it like every year, like no. right next to like Christmas vacation. Like, no, like, no, I don't even think he's that much. He's that into that, uh, TV miniseries, but I would, I, I have seen clips of it previously, but I, I think that if I was to go back and rewatch the remake, or, why do I keep seeing remake? We're, we're in remake ween, <laughs> I guess. Maybe that's why if I was to go back and rewatch the miniseries, I wouldn't be very impressed with it. This happened once before. I watched um, Creature, it was called. It was uh, Peter Benchley's Creature, and it was on ABC. I remember it very clearly. I remember watch, tuning in for that miniseries on both nights, being very impressed by it when I was younger. And then I went back to rewatch it uh, not too long ago because it came out on DVD, and I was like, what the? What, why, what was I thinking? This is terrible. This is horrible. And it has Craig T. Nelson in it. And, uh, coach himself. That's right. And, and no, I mean, it was definitely not what I remembered. So I have a feeling that going back to rewatch the original, it is going to be much of the same where you, you see the inspiration that came from Stephen King's story, but all in all, it just doesn't do much to, to really get that story across because there's so much story in the book, it that and I and you read it, and I've read it. I have not, and I think that and knowing that it's all over eleven hundred pages, I will not read it. I just come on, you don't have time. I, come on, really? Like that's like you have four days a week off. You could you could plow right through that. It wouldn't hold my sun in- up to sundown. It wouldn't be able to hold my interest though. Thirty I mean, pages I'm not, a day. Like I'm not even like a novel guy. Like to begin with, like I like I've told you that, and I've said it before on the podcast. Like when it comes to books, I'd much rather read like newspapers, nonfiction, like au- like biographies and autobiographies and like histories, things like that. Like or like just like how to change a light bulb. That to me is like that'd oh, be more. It's like way more interesting you know, than reading. Uh, like, well, let's, like, how to be, like, electrician for dummies, you know, that's, you know, 
that's more interesting to me that so you want to be educated you know i like i I mean well think of it as a history of dairy and then read it like that (laughs) read it as a, a historical recounting of a fictional town and go from there I mean, I just, I, I mean, like I said, I, I don't know why when it comes to novels, they really don't. And I mean, there are bo- books that we read, like, through, hi- like, high school and stuff that I really enjoy. Like, I still like All Quiet on the Western Front. Historical. And, <laughs> I, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to do, like, necessarily the World War One setting, but I mean, yeah. it's like, I enjoyed, you know, I love... Tom's Cabin? Yeah, that was... Oh, okay, okay. I was just naming I, off historical ones. Cause I, like Huck, a... I like Huck Finn. Like, yeah. Huck Finn a lot. But it's like, oh, like, you know, it just... I don't know. Maybe it's because like it, like it came to like by like when tenth grade came around. That's when I started like reading mm-hmm. like the actual books. Cause, like before you're then, actually I, getting into them. Like before then, like I was like reading maybe like a book or two a year, and then like spark noting the rest. Like I don't fucking care about true confessions of Charlotte Doyle. Let's read Chocolate War. That's why you know. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Well, speaking of spark notes, um, this remake of it is really like a spark notes condensed version of reading Stephen King's, like, part, the first part of Stephen King's novel. Because, obviously... Really? Because it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. So you're saying, like, if it was, like, to be, like, the first part of the actual no- novel, it'd be, like, four hours long? Um, yeah. So, so we'll, this would be, like, we'll, an eight-hour movie? We'll talk about that when we get get into it a little bit more. But, yeah, I absolutely, re- after, you know, reading the novel, I think that even just part one of it, chapter one, as they're calling it, which you don't get until spoiler till the end of the movie, but shouldn't come as much of a surprise to anyone who knows anything about it. Um, uh, I think that's only uh, even people who don't know anything about it. At least if you're over eighteen, you know there's gonna be a yeah, second. Yeah, there's part. gonna be a second part. There's not, to you know, it. you're not gonna be like, what do you mean there's a second part? Coming? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel bad if anybody was really dumbfounded. Like, what? I was under the impression <laughs> this was it. No, but uh, oh, oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, pronouns. I'm gonna be doing that all day, yeah, I mean, all night. <laughs> um, we no. should have, like, we should have a rim shot drop ready for that. Like, <laughs> I know. Um, no, but I, I would say that even with the length, the you know the two hours and fifteen minutes it's that we not get, two and fifteen, it's two and a half. It's like I, I one forty three. Two hours and thirteen, twenty minutes. Two hours. Let's say two hours and twenty minutes for the for the giggles. Um. But I think even at that long of a runtime, there was a lot more within the kids' storyline from Stephen King's novel that didn't get touched upon. Like and ch- children's sex? Well, children, children, children gangbang. I'm pretty sure they left that out for a reason. They could have easily en- encapsulated that within the film, but they, they chose not to. So that was, a, that was a conscious decision. But I'm talking about more of the, uh, the subtextual elements of Stephen King's story that don't really... I mean, they're kind of brushed upon in this film. Um, but they don't come out and understandably, I'm not saying that that's something that I think is a major detraction from this film, but uh, it's something that does occur. And I could see it being even a little bit longer, you know, if we're talking like a Scorsese film who gets, he gets away with three hours. Why, why can't it? No, I mean, I'm not, you know, and we've talked about film length before on here. Look, I'm fine with films being long. You just gotta do it well and, you know, encapsulate the audience. Scorsese gets away with it because Scorsese's one of the best directors of all time. That's why he gets away with it. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to pace it. The Good and the Bad and the Ugly gets away with being nearly three hours long 
with like 15 minute stare downs in it because Sergio Leone has a vivid imagination to make those like moments that are drawn out into an ungodly length feel important and exciting and, you know, get you in, you know, going with what's going on. Batman v Superman doesn't do that. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I agree. I think. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I would have been fine with this being after now that I've seen it. Spoiler alert. I would have been fine if they were probably stretched this out. Give it a little bit longer to. Yeah. Now, now that I've seen it, and, I, I would, I would have been fine with it. Like, and, I probably, I probably could say this would, would have worked as a three hour film. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have been totally I, fine with it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later in terms of how how close it is to Stephen King's film how how good it is at adapting it um and and get into the time length of it um but let's just before we uh before we take a break let's just get into this right now um did you enjoy it we'll, we'll throw it at you right now and oh, we're getting into the yeah. n- nitty-gritty well of the intro. i just no, we don't, don't want no we want surprises no well i mean we want to we want to lead in we want to we want to give them a Give the listeners a hook. a hook to like stick around, like, and so that means you've got to come off as a little bit uh, ambiguous. <laughs> did, huh, did I enjoy it? Well, and then just <laughs> leave we'll, it at that. And then we'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, no way. So, did I enjoy it? You'll find out after the sponsor and our beer talk. So take that. Ever wonder what happened to the actor from the 80s movie that you love? What about the director of the 70s splatter film that turned your stomach? Or how about the model that starred in your favorite MTV video? I'd like to invite you to join me, Sean Riley, the host of Second Acts Podcast, on the first of each month as we check in with some of the most memorable faces you've forgotten to see what's going on in the second acts of their lives. You can check out Second Acts Podcast on your favorite podcast app, as well as on YouTube. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook page for bonus content, as well as ways to interact with the show. F. Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, There are no Second Acts in American Lives, but there are on Second Acts Podcast. All right, guys, we're back with our beer talk this week. Skipped out on it last week and uh, the first remake of Ween episode, but we've got something new today. Someone did their job. I did. Yeah, I went out and I got something specifically for this show. Um, and obviously, an beer. Yeah, right. We uh, we uh, have been. I mean, we're into September now, and still, it is hard for me to find Oktoberfests out there that I haven't had before. Which is, I mean. In a way, it's not surprising because we're very we have a small community. Uh, they don't often branch out <laughs> with new things or or get things imported, so uh, we're kind of limited to what we can try. However, I did grab Goose Island's new Fest beer for 2017, and it's a little bit different because I did know that Goose Island made an Oktoberfest last year, and it was just called the Goose Island Oktoberfest, and I actually I had it. It's pretty good. And uh, I did not realize that this Fest beer is considered something different from their other Oktoberfest. Now, I don't know if the Oktoberfest is out this year. I haven't seen it. Have you? No, I don't really pay attention to Goose Island. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't either. But if it's there and it's something to try and we haven't haven't given it a shot yet, I will. It's one of those goddamn 
macro craft. Yeah, because yeah. they've been bought out by Anheuser Busch. No, I'm I, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding about that. Like, I don't really care about I, that. That never sways me. No, so no, I, it I doesn't. If it's good, it's good. I, you know, I don't care. But I mean, I only really had like two of their beers. Uh-huh. I've had like their pale ale. Yep, that's that's pretty readily available. Which around is the here. Honkers ale. Yep, and um, I think their IPA. Their IPA or the summer, I can't remember. It's remember. probably the IPA because that's pretty available around here too. But other than that, they have it on tap. And I just, you know, they do have like some of their seasonal stuff out, but it's not anything I really gravitate towards. Cause I don't really because, like, with the especially the Honkers, yeah, I remember having that because I used to have it. My uh, the old job I used to work at Stewart's, which is kind of surprising. Um, but I was I wasn't really overly impressed with it. So kind of like with Red Hook. It's like the same thing with like Red Hook. From like just trying like the Audible ale, it's like meh. So I've never really bothered. Okay. I've never really bothered, you know. And and the I, the I, Red Hook's IPA, I've never really gone my way to try to find other ones because after like you know trying like their standard beer, I was like it's you know just kind of a it's just there. So yeah. Well, I think that I, I I just gravitated towards this Goose Island because it was an Oktoberfest one that I haven't had because I haven't had the that what they're considering the fest beer. At all. So I wanted to grab it. Give us an Oktoberfest. Get us in the spirit. Has the Bavarian flag, a nice stein on it, and the beer is spelled in German. And a nice font choice for the fest beer. Yeah, it's nice, nice, you know, German style. I love that. Um, so that's what, I mean, it, it attracted me. That's that's really the main thing. And it was pretty cheap, so, for a 12-pack. <laughs> so that's another good attraction. Um, but I think the main difference between this... Uh, Oktoberfest Marzen style and Goose Island's traditional Oktoberfest is this has an added noble hops to it. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say that that addition to a regular Marzen style beer is it's, it's not like super different. You know, I wouldn't say the fest beer tastes astoundingly different from the, you know, a regular Oktoberfest. Would you? No, I, I would say it's more, um, for the Marzen style, it's very, very much more than like a, well, I would say like an American, more on the bready, maltier, you know, darker note side. There's definitely a, a heavy, bready, malty t- taste to this. And that, I enjoy that, honestly. I do like an American Oktoberfest. I might, um, I might offend some people, but I think I like American Oktoberfest more than traditional Oktoberfests. That, you know, you would get from an actual German... Like a Hoffenbrau? Right, yep. Like a Hoffenbrau or something like that. I like American Oktoberfests more because of their their heavy malt character. Granted, one of these days we're going to have to go to Germany and see, like, what, the, you know, over in, over in the fatherland for me, you know. Go to a, an official Oktoberfest? And see, like, if like theirs is more like that, too. Because, again, like, the German imports we get around here is, like, Hoffenbrau and, like, a couple others, and... From what I remember when we had those, you're like, you know, like, yeah, they're malty, like, you know, like, maltier in style, like, compared to, like, a normal American lager, but they're not, like, overly, like, bready they, and malty. They like, were still like, like, pretty light, light. Yeah, compared to, you know, like, a Sam Adams Oktoberfest, like, Sam Adams Oktoberfest, or this, or the Jenny Oktoberfest, whereas, like, Saranax is like, got that good balance in between being, it's got that, you know, breadiness to it, but it's also, you know, much on the lighter side. Yeah. I agree. I mean, like, this one... Which is why they probably, you know, introduced their Darktoberfest, so you got, you know... Yeah, you're gonna get smacked over the head with the malts here. 
Not qu- it's not that. No, I know. Heavy, I'm just kidding. Mean. But that's that's what it sounds like when you're diving into that. I think Goose Island's um, Fest beer is pretty tasty. I think I gave it a like a four on Untapped. I think it's good. It's definitely in the realm of my favorite style of Oktoberfest because everybody makes them a little bit different. But I prefer the breadier malty character to it. And I and I do too. And and I think that the noble hop character, while it's not very pronounced, you do get you do get a hop that hop you know bitterness from it at, still, at the end. And this that's what I like too is that it's it's only a little bit because then when you when you if you're throwing in a bunch of hops into an Oktoberfest, then you're just running the risk of it turning into like an ESB or something like that. You know what I mean? Like a so, uh, there's a fine or, line or, or worse, yeah, an IPA with like an overly. That's like didn't quite make it to red like, a, I, like red IPA. It could be tanker. like an amber IPA or something like that. You know where? Just you, imagine, like, wait, like, the next thing we're gonna do is like a Marsden style IPA. It's like, oh god. Yeah, it's like a, that would be like a Frankensteinian creation. Like I said, there's a fine line anyway between them, and I think that's why you know we prefer we like Oktoberfest, we like ESBs. They're they're they do have a similar quality to them that makes you know that would be. It would be hard to distinguish between them if you're throwing a lot of hops into an Oktoberfest or a Marzen style. So I'm glad that they went really light on the noble hops. I wouldn't want it. To I think be... it's just like they had like a night, like a Christmas to it, like a nice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I and I think it comes off very clean and 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 tasty. I don't remember specifically the Goose Island Oktoberfest from last year. I know I did have it, but I don't I'm, remember. I'm assuming it. that I had it. If you had, then I had it. Yeah, I had. think so. But I mean, I don't I don't remember the exact character of it. You know, I don't know if if I could say, well, the fest beer is basically the same <laughs> or if there's a totally different it might, it might, literally, literally just might be their Oktoberfest, but they rebranded it, you it, know. Like it may how. be. And I I don't really know it's it's possible. I guess we'd have to throw that out to to the brewers at Goose Island and be like, or go hey. on their web page and see yeah. like what they got listed for their beers for the season. Yeah, like, hey, uh, is this is this your Oktoberfest now, or you know, is it just called Fest Beer? I would be interested to know, just just out of curiosity's sake. But I I like it. I I would say you know if you're if you're one of those people who is afraid of Goose Island because they're technically a macro craft beer. Um, I would still, you know, say, "Hey, try this fest beer," because I don't think they've done a bad job this would, whatsoever. If, if this is one of the, if this was one of the first uh, Goose Island beers I've ever had, this would inspire me to try more. Like, hey, they like, hey, they did a really good Oktoberfest. I want to try. It'd be like the same thing with Magic Hat. They're like, "Hey, yeah. the Hex is a is a good beer. Wonder what that number nine tastes like." And the disappointment. Right. I'm still on the lookout for Hex because I do want to have it on the show. Because that's one you Magic may Hat. very well have to go to like Ma- Magic Hat's brewery. I know because they probably like at like because all craft brewers now have like a pub restaurant now to tie in to like you know with the the brewery. So I guarantee Magic Hat probably has one too. We can go like take a tour and then like have some like you know Vermont cheese that's been flavored with apricot and a burger that has you know pears in it. Mmm, aren't we unique? <laughs> well, I th- I want to cover Hex because that's probably one of the beers, one of the only beers from Magic Hat that we would actually praise on the show. So No, you praised the beers from last time. That's true. I did give them a, a pretty good rating. So, uh, But yeah, check out Goose Island's Fest Beer. It's out now. You can find it probably anywhere. Everywhere. everywhere yeah, it's... anywhere. It's, uh, it's pretty widely available. So 
It's like New Belgium now, because they're owned, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're they're all over the place. They're distributed, you know, at least nationwide. It's good and bad. So, but give it a shot. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I still see Sam Adams with their Oktoberfest, and though I haven't had it this year, I get I'm getting more annoyed when I look at it just because they spell Oktoberfest with a C. Yeah, I which we, I think we last year we did a discussion on that how they, you should spell Oktoberfest on your beer bottle. <laughs> I think we did. Yeah, I uh, actually I want to try their new Heffa, the uh, du- farmhouse Heffa. Yeah, but I'm I'm just af- afraid. Well, it's a Dunkel. It's not a Heffa. I know, that's but why I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit. Because we talked about that, and I said I got annoyed with that, because I like Dunkelweizens. I don't like Hefeweizens. Because they have two totally different um, taste profiles. Hefas are like banana-y and clove and just really awkward, like, fruity taste. Doesn't taste well at all to me. Dunkles are more like with in line with fall, like cinnamon, malty, bready. So I like I, I, think I imagine we'll have to give it a go. I imagine the farmhouse, I pumpkiny, I I would like quite a bit. I have I'm to a, try it, but I, I'm just mad that they call it like just call it like your farmhouse sale and have on the label. It's like our, you know our seasonal Dunkelweizen. It's pretty much the only Sam's that I've not really had so far, like that's been put out. I, I haven't gotten I the variety like, pack at all yet because I've just been, well I haven't either because. I can't say that I'm like super excited for it. I it's not that I it's I think it's just that I'm burnt out on Sam's. It's just so widely available. We we have it so much around here that I'm just a little burnt out. And I try I go for other brands rather than Sam's, even though their Oktoberfest is good. It's it's very solid, but you know, I I try to go for other brands now. And what one thing that pisses me off is that I went to Ruby Tuesday yesterday. Still got the summer ale on tap. Told you. What the fuck? That'll be... Pull that shit down. By the time it's Christmas time, (laughs) winter lager will finally be coming in because they can't get rid of that summer ale. Even the waitress seemed fatigued because I asked her, I was like, what's your Sam Adams seasonal? She was like, I think it's still the summer ale. I was like, yeah, that's how I'm feeling too, lady. I'll order a fucking blueberry uh, old fashioned then. Give me that. (laughs) So <laughs> you're mad about the summer ale still being there, and then you get yourself a fucking summer cocktail. It's not a summer cocktail; it's a nice fall cocktail. A blueberry? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, was, it was good. It was tasty. It's got mint in it. it had lime. It was so. It was really good. Oh my and god! And a spritz of sprite. So <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about it. Stay tuned. Thank you for saving me today, Doctor. Of course. I see you're having some issues. Yeah, it all started when I ran out of podcasts to listen to. I felt anxious, alone, and even scared. It happens all too often. Podcast deficiency disorder. It can be a serious struggle with no answer in sight. Until now. Introducing Nerdy Words from Geek Productions. Through intense peer review studies, the Nerdy Words team have developed the perfect formula to finally defeat all symptoms of PDD. With just one episode a week, your feelings of helplessness through lack of podcast satisfaction will be a thing of the past. With heavy doses of off-the-cuff, barely put-together thoughts about all things nerdy and beyond, your PDD will melt away. Side effects include frustration at hosts' inability to accurately quote facts, annoyance at their often bitchy attitudes, and inability to understand them through their drunken slurs every five episodes. Do not listen if you are nursing, pregnant, or may become pregnant. Comics, movies, anime, video games, and much, much more with Nerdy Words. 
Fridays on acepodcastnetwork.com. So how did you enjoy Lost Boys? (laughs) (laughs) I'm confused. What are we talking about? This movie. It's Lost Boys. Oh, you're going to confuse the audience here listening. They're they're not going to know what's happening. You don't get the similarities? No, I get the similarities. I could have said the same thing about the Goonies, <laughs> Stranger Things, as they share a, an actor, and uh, pretty much any other, like, Stephen King later 80s. Later 80s, Stand By Me, uh, yeah, any later 80s film that features young children in in the plot you know what this movie's missing and when we say the movie if you're if you skipped ahead and you skipped all of our our uh dialogue at the beginning and you skipped over our beer talk we're talking about it the 2017 remake but you know what this movie could have used what could it or it needed it what's that the quarries yeah yeah it could have I mean, <laughs> you don't sound that. That is like no. You should. Well, one of them a, is dead, so he, they're not coming back. It's called CGI. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they did that in Rogue One for poor. <laughs> oh God! Who are you talking about? For uh, Princess Leia. Oh God! For Carrie Fisher. Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't <laughs> like that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I could. You could say I'm not a fan of that. It's uh, I mean, also I was saying they also did in Rogue One too for uh, good old Peter Cushing. Oh yeah, because he's been you know long been, been long dead, long yeah. dead. So they see you know, the yeah. guy that was playing Tarkin in Rogue One, they CGI mocked him up to look as as close as Peter Cushing as possible. Yeah, not yeah. A, not you know not a fan of it either. But I'm just saying, I would, I would, it's Hollywood in 2017. You know, anything's possible. It's true. Um. All right, let's let's uh, let's start out on it by talking about uh, it, it, yeah. Um, all right, so we we uh, we left off before we you know we did our beer talk and everything before we did that. We left off with how you felt about it. So let's pick up from there. I enjoyed it. It's, I really did. I didn't, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't really have a feeling either way towards this. Uh, you didn't have a strong opinion going in. Like, no, not really. It's gonna um, be bad. It's gonna be no, because I don't really like I said I don't really have like that strong of recollection of you know, uh, the miniseries. All I really remembered was uh, John Ritter and Tim Curry, right? Um, and John Ritter's not even really memorable in you know the miniseries. So I think a lot of people coming into an it remake, I think they were. You know, they had high expectations for it, but at the same time, they were tempered by the fact that they didn't really know how to feel about a remake, especially considering their nostalgia for the for the original miniseries. Like that, for us, in 1990, we were one years old. Mm-hmm. One year old. So we didn't really, you know, we didn't, I, I have it from moving forward, you know, after I got older, I was, I checked it out because I was a fan of the book. I watched the book. Or you I watched the book. Yeah, and yeah I, I love watching books. I read the book called I, movies. And I wanted to watch the miniseries, <laughs> and, and it occasionally showed on different channels. But for a lot of people in the 1990s, that was a really big thing growing up with it because that was kind of it was the thing to do on the night that it aired. You know, it's two part miniseries. 
Um, and miniseries, it's like, it's like who shot Jr. on Dallas for the nineties. Miniseries were a big thing. I think that we have now miniseries have become sort of a they're like a remnant of the past. We don't have very many of them. They're not, and that part of that is because seasons people, now are only ten episodes. That people are which is essentially now. A miniseries, like, you yeah, know, before- right. Yeah, and people aren't enticed to, like, tune in. You know, now there are so many channels, there's so much to watch, that, and there's DVR, things like that. You're not really forced to be, like, watching the miniseries the night that it airs, then the next day talking about it, like, with your coworkers or at school or whatever, you know, wherever you're going the next day. In, in the 90s, that was a very real thing, that everybody watched the same fucking show the night before, so you could all talk about it the next day, and there was no worry that, like, well, that guy didn't watch it. You know, perhaps they VHS taped it. But other than that, you know, th- there wasn't really that worry that people didn't watch it the night before. And now you just don't have that. There's a lot of people that, you know, maybe I'll watch this, you know, three weeks later. Oh, what do you think like about that. Thank God for DVR. No, I... Now, I not, like, it's like, now you get to watch things on your own time, and then be like, yeah, you know, like... Like, look, like, like, ah. Oh. Fucking new episode of Breaking Bad's coming out, you know, this Wednesday. I'm not going to be there. But I really have this hot date with this chick I've been meaning to. Do I just blow her off? Like, nope. Got to see what happens, you know. Yeah. Mid-season finale. Like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. DVR and then... I mean, I'm not saying that DVR is a bad thing, but I do think that it did take away some of the experience of... um, Making... No, making certain things... No, I get it. Like, cultural, you know, that... No, I I understand. Not only that, the proliferation of channels overall and content overall. Not only that, you have to compete with the internet. Yep. You got Amazon and Hulu too, and Netflix, and there's like we there's such a ridiculous amount of choice now given to you. It's no wonder why like NBC is like we're drowning in crap. We don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that the original um, miniseries of it. It did the best that it could with the time frame that it had. And even four hours is uh, not a lot of time to... And that's including commercials. Yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of time to get through the all of the things that are really part of Stephen King's book. At 1,100 pages, there's obviously going to be things that you can't touch on. Just, just the fact of it. But at the same time, they did leave out quite a bit. That they should have included. And I think that this remake uh, is an attempt to rectify that and really get closer to Stephen King's storyline, original storyline, than even the miniseries could do. And make it much more horrifying? Make it much make it much scarier, uh, horrifying, violent, give it an R rating. Um, R rating being a big one because as a TV miniseries, um, the, the, the childlike humor that does come out in Stephen King's story, you know, in terms of how kids interact and how young 13-year-old boys might talk and, you know, speak and joke around, that doesn't come out in the remake or in the uh, original whatsoever, but in the remake, there the R rating allows that. So some people would say, you know, some people argue the rating doesn't matter in a horror film. You know, PG-13 R, it doesn't matter because you can have an R rating that's really that sucks anyway. Doesn't matter. It sucks. 
you have a PG-13 film that does really well. And I mean, one of the ones that you can think about is The Sixth Sense. As a PG-13 film, still scary, still thrilling, and it's PG-13. Yeah, it's not a horror film. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say it is. I think it's more of a thriller. But my point, my point is, <laughs> not to argue semantics, but uh, is that in this case for it, twenty seventeen, there is a very real need for it to be able to be an R rated film and to allow those elements of Stephen King's storyline about boys and and uh, you know kids that are growing up and experiencing things. It it needs that. It needs that. Um, you wouldn't get to see a child get its arm bitten off. Yeah. Well, that too. I mean, it, it allows it to be violent. I think that with it 2017 and we're, we're not going to talk about the remake. So, or the, the original so much as a remake just because, you know, there's a, maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point. Don't want to, don't want to steal all of the, steal all the glory for the uh, other film. But in terms of the remake, um, I think that it does a really good job of setting up the whole scenario of kids in this fictional town, building this town, even though the fictionality of it for Derry doesn't really come into play as much in here. It doesn't get much of a history and it could be pretty much any small town, uh, in the USA, but at the same time, but it's I, a Stephen King novel, so it's in Maine. So, so it's in Maine and it's in Derry <laughs> and it's a small town and. There's bad kids and there's bad people. But uh, I think that it does a, a really good job of setting up the kids' dynamic throughout the film. Because the biggest thing is is knowing that it, chapter one, is just the kids. Just them as kids. No adults, really. I mean, there are a few adults that appear here and there, but the focus is on kids. And which is differs from the miniseries because that's 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 a uh, combination that's adult then like flashback then like adult flashback adult flashback you know and one thing that um the uh, the original film does that does really go along with the book itself is that there are flashbacks within the book that are like your here's the kids here's them as adults here's then they're back as kids then they're as adults so that that is kind of more uh present in the original miniseries but i think it works really well for this new two-part remake because that would make it a lot harder to divide the film at this point and i think once you get to the end of it and i'm not really going to talk about it in detail but at the conclusion of chapter one it's in a very good place to move into chapter two. We should say spoilers alert by this point too. Yeah, I would say that um, I, a lot of spoilers are really going to be, I think, already well known. I mean, the book is like thirty years old at this point, and like I said before, but still, it's a new movie, so you yeah, exactly. That. And I do want to say spoilers, and you know, if you haven't seen the film, I would probably I would see it before you listen to the rest of this podcast, just because it's going to make things a lot easier for us to talk about <laughs> as well uh, in terms of spoilers. And, and you don't want to like listen to an hour long podcast that's uh, well, things happened in it. Yeah, what and, things happened? And well, this thing happened, thing and happened. that thing happened, and. I liked them. <laughs> I didn't like that thing, but yeah. this thing I did like. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to. We don't want to talk in uh, generics here. So uh, the film sure. title does it. So why don't we? That's yeah, true. That's true. Uh, so it's good if, it's, if it makes Stephen King like five million dollars. Why don't we do it? Just, I'm sure he made more than five million dollars off that goddamn <laughs> book. 
Just but, keep in mind that we're we're probably going to talk about spoilers here in the next uh, next forty minutes or so. So, um, so uh, as I was saying, you know, with it, it's the twenty seventeen film. It's a lot closer to Stephen King's novel. Um, I think some of the biggest things that it does well is setting up the the kid characters in a meaningful way. Um, especially, and they, and they are very. And I, and I and I like it for doing it. It's very much like a great throwback to like eighties, yeah, films of like it, the mid to late eighties. This this well, that's why I said like, hey, did you, how'd you enjoy Lost Boys at the beginning? Yeah, because it is like Lost Boys, it, Stand by Me, like that you know dynamic Goonies, as you said, like between the kids and their personalities. And uh, my wife said E. T. E. T. Very much you know in in line with that as well. It does have that you know the humorous aspect of. Uh, these kids, you know what I mean? And it is set in the eight. They they modernized it for today. Instead of being set the fifth, uh, kids part being set in the fifties, set in the late eighties. I appreciate that, which I is think... which is good. I I think I, I think that's a uh, that is a smart change because I think if you were to remake it and then have it set in the fifties, I think a lot of especially now with like a younger audience. It would have just to, been lost. To the chagrin, which, you know, I think that's stupid. That, like, eh, you know, like, this is stupid. What a, you know. Well, the 80s seems old now, so <laughs> that's... <laughs> I know, but at this point, with, like, you know, the people who are going to be bringing their kids to see it, it's going to be the people who can connect to the 80s. I think that... And that's a very thin connection for us, like, because we were born 89. Right. But even still, like, we can look at it like, oh, yeah, because, you know, we were still close enough years after to be like you know it was definitely a solid call though because it's it's uh touching on the um the influence and the uh i uh, success of stranger things for one thing i mean they share an actor um i you know finn wolfhard he is very solid in stranger things and again in it his character richie steals the show Almost all the time, and that's that's not unlike Stephen King's novel, who, where Richie was more of the humorous and you know kind of uh, asshole kid. Yeah, that'd be me. Um, yeah, with glasses. Yeah, yeah. But I call call everyone cunts, and this is great. Twelve year old kid, like that <laughs> yeah, was. I I do the last straw, the shortest straw. Jeez, if it's a dick measuring contest, I wouldn't be in here with you guys. Yeah. Hell. I mean, that's. I think he steals a show because of the dialogue. Um, but there are, I will say, for the characters, there are some characters that are more important in the film than others. And while I understand that that's necessary, and we were talking about length a little bit at the beginning of the show. Because well, um, some of them get, like, no. Some of some of the, these kids, they don't really get much of a, a, a character or a personality to, to go off of. And I think that's one of the film's biggest flaws is that it doesn't give all of the Losers Club enough time to become fully characterized and individualized. I would say the biggest one would be uh, Mike Hanlon. Mike, yeah, is the is the black the black kid in of the group who you would expect to have a much 
uh, larger role simply because of the racism of the time of, of in some of those those well, ideas. Well, and as you said in the book, that's part of a very big theme of it. Because I asked you at the end of the film, like, wow, I feel bad for the black kid because out of all the – he got the shit like, compared to all the peop- kids in that group. He got the shit beat out of him. Absolutely, like, the shit kicked out. Like, it was like – literally, like, God, like, decided, like – you're the one that's going to like get your ass kicked the most in here. And you're like, oh, like, oh no, that makes sense because in the book, racism's you know a pretty big theme. Yeah. I... Now, now one of the things because I, I, when I was watching the clips uh, from the previous it, and you might be able to relate this more to the novel. What I understand is apparently in the novel and in the miniseries, he was like the one that was interested in Derry's backstory, and it's like history with like you know the things happening. Why in this movie do you think they chose to make it? The new kids, Ben, Ben, make that like his thing, and then now the black kid, all he is, he is, he's just an outsider because he lives on a he's homeschooled. You know that's a really good question. I I don't know that I have an answer for it, and I don't know that even watching the film that they have an answer for that they have that, that there's really a reason where they were like it's because I almost feel like if they didn't like because of that single move alone like you could it would have been fine just for Ben to be the new kid in town who's smart like he does go like show him going to the library cuz he likes to read and stuff like you didn't have to have him cuz he's the new kid being like interested in Derry's history it would make more sense for maybe like Mike the outsider to be like, kind of interested in it like like why does my family say it's evil and be outside but all they do is just attach him like he lives his parents are dead he lives with his grandfather on a sheep farm and he has to slaughter sheep and he's very hesitant to do that. I think and and that's, li- that's literally all the character they give him in this film. You bring up a good point because I don't really know that in this film, with Ben being the new kid, that they really give him much of a character to work with that makes sense for him. Because if you think about a new kid coming to town, why would they immediately start researching the background of the town? It just doesn't really make sense for his character. But for someone like Mike, who is an outsider, who has experienced the evil of town, I mean, obviously he's probably experienced racism, which we see within the film. Gets, you know, harassed by... He's constantly harassed. Um, but also at the same time, he's lost both his mother and father in a factory, in a in a fire, in a, in a like a, a warehouse building. Um that you would expect him to be kind of researching, like, well, that was kind of a strange occurrence, you know, like, has and it happened and in how the his past? Gran- and how his grandfather says, you know, like, he, his grandfather doesn't outright say it. His grandfather just gives a line of, you know, you gotta choose whether or not you wanna, you know, be the one to put the bolt between the sheep's head or be the sheep that get in the bolt, you know. Yeah. And, but, like, but he does say, like, you know, my grandfather says bad things happen in dairy. That's why, you know, we stay away. And that's all they say. But, again, that's, like, literally all the character. So it's literally like he's, like, just there to get the shit beat out of him. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues with this film is that you have a couple of people, a couple of kids who are big parts of the film, like Ben, uh, Richie, and Bill, Bill being like the main lead, the guy that we're really following the most, the kid, the kid that's the most important aspect for this story. Um, but then you also have those secondary characters like Mike and uh, Eddie and S- Stanley. And I would say that both Mike and Stanley are the least characterized characters in this film. And for the most part, if they didn't even have Stanley, you would be missing nothing. You would miss nothing <laughs> based on, you know, if that's the case, if they don't have time to really flesh out some of the Losers Club, 
I would be okay with them just, just chopping mm. some people. And it'd be like, it'd be like a, like, like a be like a Lupin film. Like you don't have anything for Goemon to do. Don't have him show up. Right. Don't have him literally just be there. Like I cut something useless yet again, and like you know, go on his merry way. It's I, like just just don't have him. You could you could do that with a couple of characters in this. And my uh, my biggest complaint is actually that. And that actually, I think that too would make the Losers Club that much tighter and much more of a bond. Instead of having like these eight kids together, if you had it like down to the five or four, the, you know. Then that makes their bond and friendship, you know, that much stronger. It's kind of hard to imagine, even at, like, 12 years old, having a group of, like, eight friends that you're really close with. I didn't have, like, no eight fucking friends. Like, ah, oh, they're super, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think... Like, I don't think most people do either. <laughs> with Stanley, specifically, he's really, like, around to just say, like, I don't think we should do this, guys. And that's pretty much it, you know. And even in that point, you have Eddie... Who is a more dynamic character even than Stanley? But he's doing the same thing. But he's doing the same thing. And except at least an, with except, him, except with an inhaler, <laughs> right? At least with him, you have a little bit more reason to that. And and so I, I'm saying that in turn as though I'm complaining about it. But what I'm really saying is that I think it does a really good job with the characters that it does focus on. Focus on, but the ones that it doesn't, I just was. I found that to be a little bit unfortunate because there's a lot of uh, content with each of those. And I'm almost uh, wondering, you know, with the the focus on two films for this, if the idea was, well, we need to keep Stanley around because he's going to be important in part two, you know, or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, th- th- that there was a, a, an ulterior motive to saying like, well, let's not just cut that character Let's keep him around because we're going to need him in the next film. So that's always that's always a possibility. But um, what I'm saying is that I think they did a really good job. But the then the ones that they didn't really characterize, they stand out even more. So um, I guess take that for what it's worth. Um, but I do think that that is both a compliment and a flaw to this film. Because they do do good work with with the other kids, and I think that the like that the kid, the child actors this are great. Yeah, yeah, the actors are great. I mean, um, what a far cry from like the '90s, where like every child actor is like you know total. <laughs> yeah, outside of like Macaulay Culkin yeah. is like a total. Uh, you know, they dip. were just like basically like reading a line and like, uh, please say this line for yeah, us, no, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. You know, it was something like that. No, in in it. The the child actors are really great, like, uh, and they come off as like genuine, like you know that's what that's what I think like, where you talk about the R rating comes in hand. It's like they sound like eighth graders, literally. Yeah, potty they, mouth eighth graders. Yeah, they just discovered the word fuck, you know, like two, like a year or two ago, and so now they're sprinkling it in everywhere, you know, and saying the kind of jokes that like eighth graders would find funny. Like, everything's, like, about your mom and, like, how her vagina smells. Like, geez, hey oh, you know, hi, no, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, shit like that. Though I will say, the bullies in this, the bully characters, are the most generic 80s bullies ever with mullets, metal shirts, like Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth shirts. And not only that, they're supposed to be, like, 16 years old because they drive around a Firebird the entire time. They don't look like they're even old enough to drive. Here's another area where the lack of characterization for some of those comes through. Is the bullies. Is the bullies. Because the lead bully is nothing but a psychopath, but you don't know why Why the f- fuck he's a psychopath. Except for one scene where yeah. his dad frightens him, but that's not enough to be like, well, that's why he would carve an H in this fat ki- the fat new kid's, you know. 
and that I, I wanted to bring that up too. I'm glad you said that about the one scene that we get with Henry's father where we see why he's kind of the way he is. I think that... It's not enough, though. It's not enough to be like, oh, that's why he'd just like, shoot a cat with his friend holding it. Right. Um, we were talking about characterization a little bit and what it has to leave out in order to not have a ridiculous running time, right? You know, there's a lot of plot to get through that does not involve character but just is about pennywise the clown and the the substance itself the substance so um i in here there's a lot left out about the true evils of dairy and a lot of that has to do with the parents you know parents have really fucked up their kids in dairy because they're neglectful bastards and in in it a big part of the concept is that every 27 years this this thing comes around and it takes the kids and you would think in a town like that, the people would notice that a small so town, many yeah. fucking kids are being taken at the same time in the book. It makes sense because a lot of people are just really they're They're evil. They're not, they're not good people. And a lot of the parents are that way. So when we talk about uh, kids like Eddie, who has been ridiculously coddled by his mom to the point where he can't really do anything by himself. And he's been conned into thinking that he has all these diseases and illnesses. Which that was a funny part. It's when a he, funny when part. When he's at the pharmacy and he's after, you know, they should have been playing like REMs. Everybody hurts. Cause the friends, you know, like kind of broken up from each other and, you know, but he's going to get his meds and the fucking, it's just shows like what a great eighties, like influence, time you know film and time periods because like a 14 year old behind like the fucking counter she's like yeah all those pills you get they're placebos i'm like what means bullshit taking bullshit pills yeah i mean that moment right there with eddie is a lot of time spent in the novel because it doesn't really seem like it in the movie but his mom really fucks him up his mom messes with his head. Makes him think he's a bubble boy. Make, yeah, makes him think that he's constantly ill. And that's a really big part of the evil that parents do in the in the book, in It, that doesn't really come out that much in the film. And I wish, um, and we're going to talk, we'll talk about this in a little, little bit, but I wish that Pennywise, the clown, never really became such a big symbol for It, the film. Because... While Pennywise as a clown is a large part of the book and and Stephen King's story, there's also a lot more to it than just a clown doing these things. Because when we're talking about a clown, that's the thing that's it's taking as its form. As its form, but it's not. That's not really it. Could you? Could you? Because you? Because it's. I don't know how much it's touched on the novel. Well, it's very. It's briefly touched on that. Pennywise's existence is due to he feeds off of fear. Exactly, he feeds off of human fear. So and and go, go, so going off the tangent that you're going off of, couldn't you say that the parents are the evil because they're instilling that fear onto their children? Exactly, exactly. That that is the that's the idea, and that especially for these kids, they are learning to fight back against that fear, and which then when they become adults, they'll. Have, they'll Ingrain that fear into a new generation. <laughs> and that's why this damn clown 
Yeah. Keeps going on. But I like with this within this film, I feel like the parents don't get enough. Well, you get the of you, a barely, role. you barely see them. Eddie's mom is the main one you get to see. All you see of Bill's parents, well, one you don't even see his mother at all. It's just the one scene, like when he's in the garage and the dad, you know, finds out that he's been, you know, trying to find his brother, you know, the whereabouts of his brother Georgie, which I haven't even talked about at all. Which is like the main spark point of this whole thing, that because Pennywise abducts and kills him, and Bill's been obsessed with trying to find him because he feels that he's at fault for it. Which he is. Wow. Ouch. Yeah, he let his little, like, four-year-old brother go out and play in, like, the fucking rain in the sewers. Yeah, true. I mean, granted, it's the 80s, different times. Yeah, go out. You know. Different times. Yeah, but still. But his, you know, when his dad finds out about it, he's like, he's like, he's dead! And that, he's dead! And there's nothing we can do now. You take this shit away because I don't want your mother to see it. And that's it. That's all you get to see of him. Yeah, you don't get, that's all you get the mention of his mother. That's it. You and then like the only other adults you get to really meet, you get to meet Bev, which we haven't talked about either her yet. You get to meet her dad and how he's a fucking overbearing like pedophile. It's not overtly stated that he's you know inappropriately right. touching his daughter. Yes, but it is a a, uh, it, a obviously very. <laughs> It's veiled, but you know, like make you think it. Yeah. Just but it doesn't. It doesn't come out, and I think overtly, like with with Bev, and I, I gotta say, I think uh, Sophia Lillis does a really, really great job as Bev. She's mm-hmm. she's excellent. Um, play, you know, almost like a a young Sigourney Weaver, something like that, who's playing a you know a, a an older. Like she she feels older than she is because of the way that she plays that character. It's re- it's really great. Um, and, and feels very worldly. And that makes sense because of the things that she's experienced based on her home life, you know, very changes you that, that inevitably changes you. Um, and that becomes, I mean, that's a huge part of the novel of the actual molestation, the, the sexual abuse that occurs within that house. And, and in the film, they do touch upon it. I feel like they were a little bit afraid to go there. To go there, a uh, little, little uh, concerned with what that would, you know, how how much they could do with that. Um, I think in today you could get you. I think you could like be you know more explicit with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I don't I don't hell, not, you know you, hell you know what they could have done. I mean, I don't know if it's if they did or not. You could have like overtly did it and then just fucking send it to. You know, and get it rated. If it doesn't pass, all right, then just cut. You know, cut, right. keep cutting it down until you get it. You know, to yeah. I mean, I think they did. A so good... maybe, maybe they did. For all we know, maybe they did, and like, sure. and that's what because the MPAA is a very fickle motherfucker on what they you know thinks. You yeah. know, I think they did a good job with it though. With that, with the you get it. You get the, the subtext is there, and you get it. You, you get enough of it to, yeah. to know. Okay, that's what's going on. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I think that that is probably one of the film's biggest flaws, though, is that there's just not enough time to go into everybody's character. But it makes sense, because if you're talking characterization, that can take a long period of time to do it well, and if you're not going to do it well, then you might you, then you there's might no well point. Just, yeah, no point. Just no. not do it, you know, uh, because if you're going to half-ass it, then 
really, there's no... You're wasting time. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like Batman v Superman. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk the, about... The horse that will never be beaten dead on this podcast. Let's talk about um, the actual presence of Pennywise the Clown, Bill Skarsgård, um, who is really a, a huge part of it in terms of how the it manifests itself. He's the, he's the shape. He's the the being that comes around uh, in, in its form. Uh, what did you think about how they did the clown? I think yeah, I enjoyed it very much. I thought he was... It was great how he could come across as, you know, kind of just like an ordinary clown and then shift to a more like just angry, demonic, and scary. Like, you know... Like, the whole opening part with when he's talking to Georgie, like, it's creepy, like, but he's coming off as, you know, f- like, friendly as a creepy-looking clown can, you know, as he's talking to him about, you know. But at the same time, you can, like, you hear, like, the unhingedness in, like, his voice, how he's like, oh, you like, you like balloons? Blue? Yeah, you like balloons? You know? Yeah. But I, I think, I think he does a really good job, especially in that part, like, you know, kind of veiling what he is. I mean, granted, you're going to. Hey, it's a clown in the sewer, so yeah, so like can't be good, <laughs> can't be, yeah, no, obviously can't be good, yeah. But that part works well. And then for the rest of the film, where he's obviously taunting and scaring the children, it's, I think it's very well done. I think he has the right amount of creepiness and, um, you know, like fa- it factor to him. I think he does a good job with his expressions, um. And his inflection, really, I think, yeah. is is what does it because he has that child childlike demeanor, like the um, the higher pitched voice that he the he puts on. But then at the same time, you do hear that like wavering, that weirdness to it. That obviously he doesn't have good intentions here. But kids might not pick up on that. You know, might Cause just they're, well because they're innocent. They're, yeah, yeah. They they, they take think most of them. I mean. Not maybe like you know, not the preteens like of this uh, that are starring in this film, but a child you know with the, the naivete, more so you know not be able to really kind of. That's why like the whole line with Georgie when Georgie's like after been talking to him for like five minutes, he's like, "Well, I shouldn't be talking to strangers," and he's like, "Well, Georgie, my name's Pennywise the Clown. Now we're not strangers anymore." And Georgie's like, "Okay." Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, kind of goes along with it there. Yeah, and then he's he's going along with it until you know, Pennywise starts saying, "Well, float down here," you know, you know, shifts, you know, makes that shift, and then it's when he realizes, you know, like I've got, I probably should leave. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the villains that like talk a lot. You know, have a lot of, I guess, what you would call one-liners or you know, jokey conversation. Uh, but at the same time, I do think that. It so you does. don't like you don't like Freddy at all. I don't like his later manifestations <laughs> as much. No, you're right. I mean, I like the more serious, like dragging a body through the school style no. Freddy. That's that's more of a visual representation of what he does than than a humorous, you know, dialogue about it. But at the same time, I think that for Pennywise that works because he is sort of a a you know, it's meant to be sort of goofy. As a as a clown should, you know, it's supposed to be a demented version of that goofy clown that would interact with kids, and I think it works in that way. Um, and like I said, I think Bill Skarsgård does deliver a pretty good um, representation of how you would expect Pennywise the clown to act. 
Uh, he, he he does a good job with that. It's nowhere near as over top as Tim Curry. <clears throat> no, that for for sure not. It's not not over the top, and it's not like um you know Jared Leto as the Joker sort of thing either. You know, it's definitely more nuanced than that, and I appreciate that because I didn't want anything like really over the top or explicit for for that character. Uh, as I said before, I wish that perhaps they would go- have gone a little bit lighter on Pennywise the Clown as it is the main you know main focus of it but at the same but I, again i have to say that the film does a good job of attempting to show some of the characters fears which because we get um a painting lady which who, is a leper we, we get a painting lady who is like her face is kind of messed up um you know the the eyes are all messed up and we also get a leper um which i think you know i for judging from my mind, I think that's probably the only time we've ever we ever really see a leper on screen. Otherwise, they're just called zombie. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, the leper, you know, we get the leper that as another sort of fear. Um, and I think that's really an intriguing part of the film, which I I wish maybe came out just a little bit more in terms of like how I'm we seeing, see seeing him manifest like as other man. fears besides a clown. You know, because. That's we, Richie's fear. That's Richie's fear. We don't even really know. Do we know? And we don't, and you don't know about that until two thirds of the film, like after we've Pennywise, you know, very appeared to everyone as a, you know, in clown form, and because they're going through like saying like you know talking about that they did see, you know, scary because that's right after they got done washing uh, Bev's bathroom that was covered in blood, but it really wasn't covered in blood. Only Bev saw it. They were lying to her about it. That they actually saw it. But then when they started talking about, like, no, I did see something, too. I, you know, Bill says he saw Georgie, and then, you know, they keep going, and then Richie's like, I saw a clown. And that's, you know. Yeah, it's a... That's it's, where he's like, I, I fucking hate clowns. And I do I do wish they had given us just a little bit more with that, but I, th- I like that they did go into that at, at least a little bit, you know, in terms of, like, even when we're in um, its lair. And we do see from, you know, Stan's point of view, we see, oh, there's the the painting lady. And then, you know, we see a little bit more, you know, from Bev's point of view, it's her father that comes out. Um, I, I like that. I just wish that it came out a little bit more rather than focusing so much on Pennywise. Because while he is an interesting character and he does have that sort of mystique about him, people are afraid of clowns. This is pretty common fear. He's not explained enough to really... Yeah, and I don't know if in the second film they'll bother to kind of you know draw like what he actually he is because literally in this he's just like he's just some demon thing, right? He's just who, a, who a thing. Heck, who knows? Be afraid. That's all you you know. Yeah, I I mean I I think it's good, but there's there is some of that missing element to it that i wish they had more of like with the actual kids fears besides a clown um at the same time they they do use quite a bit of of effect on pennywise um to make him a lot come off as you know more frightening than you know in the miniseries a lot of cgi um speeding up and some speedy you know movements and things like that how did you feel about that i liked it i actually you did like it no i did i thought like I mean, I didn't find it scary, but I thought, you know, I'm like, that's, you know, it's really well done. I could see someone, how if someone was watching this at a younger age would find that probably creepy as shit. A clown, sp- like, you know, speeding at Mach 5 at you. <laughs> Mach 5, with, that's a good idea. With, yeah. with, like, the scorg, you know, just, you know, stinging. Like, you know. 
Um, you know, so like, I mean, I didn't find this film scary at all. No. Your, your mom did. I, yeah, my mom did. That's <laughs> that, true. What, like the two, there, and I'll give this film credit. There's not a lot of jump scares in it, but one, like out of the two jump scares in it, one of them got your mom really good. That's true. You know, had the whole theater looking at her. Yeah. And she was giggling, I can't believe I got scared. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I would say that I I don't find this film scary in the least. I, I was not scared, you know, one time or even... I don't even feel like I was on the verge of it, you know, with, tense in terms moment. of jump. I would say tense yes, moments, ten, but... tense moments. Um, at the same time, I don't think, like, a film has to be scary as a horror film in order to be successful. Well, no, because most horror films aren't. Like, if you watch... We watch Halloween all the time. We're not going to find it. And, and I'll be honest with you, as a longtime viewer of horror films, I don't, I don't really find anything scary. I, I, I don't get scared in, in films. Um... The only time would be like if there's just like an occasional jump scare that might, you know, catch might, you off guard. Might catch me off guard one time. But for the most part, I, I don't really get scared. Um, I will say that I was a little bit disappointed in the building of tension. I think that there are films that do it a lot better than what uh Andy Muschietti has done in this film. Um and Andy Muschietti, he's uh he what he previously directed Mama. And so I didn't have high hopes for it because of the CGI factor, which Mama did have quite a bit of, of uh, CGI and, you know, some of that some of that monster movie magic that I, I'm not really a huge fan of. Um, and I will say that it does have a, a lot of that same um, stylistic choice. Like when we're talking about the leper, the leper's kind of... Totally... Di- uh, CGI, like, yeah, CGI me, like, designer like, nightmare kind of reminds thing. me like like something like from like 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 a Conjuring movie. Yeah, know? I would I would say even like more like something out of uh, Insidious or something like that. Which really they they kind of have that stylistic decision to have those me- messed up faces uh, done by CGI, and I don't find them particularly scary or effective. I actually think they detract because they look so out of place. Like, well, I mean, I wanted to talk about the CGI, I bet more like the whole, like, like, like Pennywise. Pennywise. I well. Yeah, well, Pennywise looks, is looks like, well. You're right with the leper, like the whole like painting and leper, like that would be a lot cooler if it was like an actual natural effect. Like, you'd see, right. And you know, especially now, like, God bless you. Like, like how good makeup is nowadays. You could easily uh, mock something up and make it look, you know, I pretty... think they, they could have made the leper look a lot more naturally realistic because when you do see his his full features, especially the face, it's very clearly CGI. Like it it took me right out of it because of how I would say it it did look to me. It looked fake. It it did not look like a real situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have rather seen a physical effect on that face, a makeup effect of like dripping flesh, mm-hmm. things like that. That would be, would have been a lot more effective. Um, and the same thing with like the the painting lady. Um, because I do think that that looks very unrealistic as you have, you're in a setting that's supposed to be very spooky. It's a sewer. Um, you have these kids in the, uh, a perilous situation. And then you have this like weird CGI lady that just pops out of nowhere. I didn't find that particularly effective. So those areas, I really wish they had gone a more physical route. Um, Pennywise transformations though can be very effective. Uh, especially when the mouth morphs to something demonic, encompass and... like all of those teeth mm-hmm. that pop out. Those are really good moments. Um, I think that the editing for that's really well done. Um, some of the more 
chaotic movements I wasn't a, a big fan of just because I feel like that's a little overdone in terms of like, oh, they move at a weird, ridiculous speed, you know, something like that. I feel like it's a little bit, it's been done too many times now. I'm talking like any sort of Japanese film, uh, you know, things like The Ring or The Grudge, th- stuff like that. They, they move at a, like a weird pace and it kind of, so it's supposed to throw the, the viewer yeah. off, but... I don't know if it particularly yeah, works that well. I thought it, it can be I, effective. I, I think yeah. it's I think it's better done than like the grudge and I think that uh it, you know your mileage may vary with that cuz uh, for me it didn't really do much for me for you it was effective. And I think that's just basically the the viewer who has to decide, you know, do they find that effective? There were a few scenes that I think worked better than others, especially like Pennywise coming out of um the water by uh like the dead georgie Mm -hmm. you know as like a puppet georgie almost as a puppet thing that's a very cool visual i I think it worked really well um and similarly which is straight from the book is pennywise coming out of the projector another really well done moment that that is effective and and especially surprising if you've not read the book because i knew it was coming you know Mm -hmm. i i remember that scene vividly from the from the book uh but if you didn't read the book that would be kind of a surprise for you um so, so uh, really interesting. I just wish that they hadn't spent a, so much time trying to put Pennywise in different situations. Um, how about the humor of the film? Because the humor is going to be a very like a a, a hit or miss point for for people. Because some people are going to come into it and expect it to be like constantly serious, constantly scary. Uh, others are going to come in and and maybe enjoy the humor of the film. Um, so I want to hear your take on it. What what did you think? I liked it. It's just a because th- just because like for me it's a nostalgia thing. It's like a like I said, it's a throwback to like eighties and nineties like kids films, and not only that, also like adult variant too. With like just all like again, them talking and sounding like they're an actual group of kids that are going to high school. Yeah, all you know the cursing and dick jokes and. Slow brow humor, yes, but that's what you know. That's what you should get. But it's almost—it's like uh, it's fun because you kind of remember that time period, you know, yeah. from like a perspective, an older like, perspective. Yeah, like as you said, like earlier, like every other word is like fuck. It's what it was, yeah. It's like wow, you know. And it's- I and like, as we said, the uh, the child actors—they do a really great job with it. Um, they they are able to deliver those lines. Um, and I think the humor here, it works really well because not every film has to be drudgingly, like, serious. And I like that, that too. Like, uh, a lot of the humor, too, is, like, definitely directed to, like, again, our generation. What kid's going to watch this movie and be like, oh, no, the new kid likes new kids on the block. Yeah, very contemporary like <laughs> reference, for sure. Uh, very funny reference, especially in well, the way that it keeps recurring. I I did like that. Um, I thought it was really funny when they're like in his bedroom and uh, he was like went to like throw some shit in his closet that he was embarrassed by like hide and then like as they're like walking around his room and like talking about like oh look at all the shit you got about dairy and then Bev like closes the door a little bit and to show like look at him like hey you got that new kids on the block uh, poster still hanging up and he's like oh my god yeah it's great it's, and yeah. then she like you know like closes it like I won't tell yeah. So a way to like those characters too, to 
like the characterization of of those characters. Um, who, I think the, the who hum- doesn't like hanging tough. It's true. It's catchy. Uh, I think those. I think the humor here is um, it's necessary because, like we were talking about, the nostalgia factor of the films from the eighties. You know, the Goonies wasn't always like serious. Like, let's just do plot stuff. It was fun too. No, most you, of it was. You had fun. fun you had a lot stuff. of fun. Uh, even the Lost Boys, you were as you were talking about before, has a fun, uh, it, teenage storyline to it that, yes, happens to have vampires in it as well. Uh, that kind of gets violent later on, but you know, in the beginning, it's all fun again. It's fun. Uh, and we're talking about vampires too, like Fright Night. Has a lot of fun moments in the beginning, too, as a kid who spies on his neighbor and thinks his neighbor's a vampire and seems ridiculous at first. Fun times. You know, it's, it, there is the That's nostalgia. That's what you did as a kid. That's right. That's right. I was always spying. Um, so I think the humor really does work. So some people might find that it is more probably more humorous than it is scary. And that's okay. I think that's... It's a horror comedy. I, I think that's okay. I mean, I think that you are allowed to... Rather than just find it overwhelmingly spooky and scary and creepy. It'd be drudging if yeah. it was two and a half hours of just like, ooh, bad things happen to children. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think you would, uh, you're okay to find this funny. And you're okay to, you know, not be entirely scared or in suspense by it, but just having you gotta have fun. Some, you gotta have some levity before some psycho tries to carve his name. And carves an H into some fat kid's, you know, stomach. Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, you can't really be like all like dark and dreary and serious, and then you get to that part, and then be like, all right, well, I'm watching a snuff film here. I'm checked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I can't put up with which this props anymore. to that kid for taking you know that carving like a champ. Sure, was barely grimacing when he's you know had that H cut into him. Yeah, and what do they? Hey, this is part of the like our, at least. It's probably unintentional humor. What makes this, that next part kind of funny? How do the kids that find him deal with it? They don't take him to the hospital. We'll just get some band-aids. <laughs> some gauze and wrap him up. Which that was like one of my big questions. Like, his parents are going to ask about one day, like, hey, why, what's this mark and bandages you got on your stomach? The big H scar that you've got on your like, stomach? Like, no one's going to, like, I mean, I know it's the 80s, but you think dad's going to be like, suck it up, son. All right, so how are you going to learn how to box? Maybe. You're going to show that kid what's what. Those are that. That seems like all the parents. Do we need dead. Frank from fucking? It's always sunny right now. Going. Those were the days. Those were the days. You just get to carve kids up and no repercussions. Just you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's. I think it's fine to find this film funny and and coming away with it having more fun than you were scared. It's that's that's not an unacceptable. I and I would say not an unwanted. Um, conclusion to draw from it because I, and, and one thing that I am concerned about is how this translates in chapter two because when you get adults in there it's probably, gonna be more it's serious. probably gonna get more serious and I I'm just wondering you know I can can they continue the appeal that it chapter one has and that's my biggest question and one that I'll be looking for when, you know, after it chapter two releases is does it follow up well 
from the from the first film. Uh, so that'd be interesting. That'd be something for our well, your for mi- our podcast episode that time. Well, as I say, your mileage may vary because you've read the book. So, which part did you find more interesting? Um, children's or the adults? To part? be honest with you, I think I found the children's more interesting. There's a there is a lot more to the adults as well that involves the evil of other people. Uh, you know, and I would like them to branch out into that for chapter two to really show that it's not just it or Pennywise that is evil, but there's, there's bad stuff happening. And that's why these people are subjective to it and they're strong enough to overcome it and overcome their fear. So, um, so what do you, what, how did you feel about the conclusion? As we talked about, as I said previously, I thought I think it ends in a good spot to continue forward for the second part of it, which is the adults. Well, as you said, apparently in the book they have a gangbang, so I'm I'm disappointed that didn't make it to the make it to the theater. Would be very avant garde of them to. Yes, a a uh, (laughs) thirteen and fourteen year old gangbang would be pretty avant garde. I don't get the point of that being in the fucking book either. That's just like, to me, comes off as like, I'm writing this shit for the sake of writing it. And in some ways, he may have been to fulfill a quota and fulfill a deadline, but um, I'm sure at 1,100 pages, his quota was fucking met. I... It's been a while since I've read it, so I, I don't know if I have a... It was more so that they were preparing to die. Well, I know, because I, like, I was watching, like, today, like, um, What's the Difference from, like, Cinefix on YouTube, and they're describing it. That's one of the parts they talk about, like, how that wasn't in the miniseries, and for obvious reasons why it wasn't. But they said from the book, the whole point of the book is because they're, you know, getting ready to die, but, and also that, like, Bev thought, like, now that they've conquered their fear to show their bond as friends and the love that they have is to do that. To ascend into, like, adulthood. And I think that's a very flimsy fucking, like, <laughs> like, descript, like to, you know. Excuse to, to, to have to, it to, in To there. justify it. Look, if I'm 12 years old, I'm afraid to die, like, you know, I'm about to die and or overwhelmed by what just happened in this fucking dingy sewer. I don't care that I'm afraid that I'm about to die. The last thing that's going to be on my mind is, hey, let's get in line and have sex with the one girl and, you know, the group. Mm-hmm. I think at that point I might just be content with, like, oh, I didn't get to know a touch of a woman. I'm going to die of a heart attack now. <laughs> this sucks, but oh well. I don't know, you know. Well, as you see in the film, uh, the bigger issue here is not an orgy or a gangbang, <laughs> but the like love triangle between Bev and Bill. Well, that makes more see, that makes more sense though. And that's like and see that like t- that see I was going to say and that like ties more to like uh a common, like, thematic thing, with especially, like, love triangles, like, the poor fat kid's gonna lose. Like, well, he's the smart, he's, he's the smart, sophisticated one. She likes him, but not enough. He's got the poetry, though. No, I know, no, but no, she, li- no, because again, like, when she realizes it was him that, that wrote that, po- that, because she thinks it was Bill that wrote that poem, Bill's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He's got a stutter. And so, but... You know, like, she's like, oh, okay. But that doesn't detract her from, like, her attraction to him. And then when Bill, like, 
not Bill, when um, Ben plants that kiss on her when she's comatose, like, she's shaking her and trying to wake her up from, the, you know, Pennywise having her in a coma, and he kisses her to, like, wake her up, and it actually works, because, you know, it was the love that, you know, conquered Pennywise and, not, you know, overcoming the fear. And she says the line, like, she's like, wow, and, like, kind of like, you know, well, thank you for that, but at the same time, like, hey, thanks for saving my life. Hi, Bill. Hi. Yeah, you go over there. I mean, I'm not. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like, it's like it's like a t- t- like typical like kind of. It's a love triangle, but at the same time, it's not. It's not really a love triangle because it's two people like the same person, and then the other per- that person only likes one. I think um, it's you know, it's not. There's not really. There's no real competition going on there from what we get from the movie. Maybe yeah, maybe in the novel there is. I don't, like, you may know. Like, I don't know, like, how that's all sorted out. But, yeah, I don't remember that specifically. But from the mo- what we gather from the movie, it's it's a, her, you know, it's a one-way street. Yeah, I think probably what attracts her most to Bill is that he is the one that's not fearful. He, he is the one that's constantly pushing to fight against it. And to come together, you know, work together as a team to best him and get over their fear. So maybe that's why. Maybe he's just the, I guess we could use the term alpha well, if she in was, that situation. Well, if she knows that, he's going to grow that ponytail later on. She better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She better cut, get out, and, get out of cut and run. Well, and she for, did. And go for John Ritter instead. Because that's right. She did, though. She, she cut and run. Because John Ritter is going to make that problem child money soon. Um, um, but, but yeah, no, like I'm fine with that part, but like at the like I said, at the same time, like, it's just, I think they could have done a better job kind of, you know, making it, you know, feel more like it's like there's stakes involved. Cause at the end of the day, when you get done watching the film, it's kind of like, Oh, poor Ben. That's just typical teenage. Like I like some, and I'm fucked. <laughs> I lost. Then you get to cry for like three months eating Baskin Robbins ice cream before you move on to your next crush. You know? is, that, is that coming from experience? Uh, maybe. <laughs> you have a well, actual experience in that? Uh, well. No. Uh, don't we all? It's true. Don't we all? Can't, it, all, can't all get lucky like you. In in terms of, uh, of uh, conclusion and climax, though, I think it does a pretty good job. No, I like it too. And, and so, like, kind of like go off like the whole... The problem, like, I have, like, the book part with, like, the whole sex thing. I think the whole, like, the blood oath at the end, that's perfect. That's fine. That, like, totally symbol, and I think that's a perfect way to end the film. Well, that that also occurs. No, I know it does, but I'm just saying, like, so the past part is nullified. You didn't, like, in the novel, you don't need that. You don't need a cum oath? No, you don't. You don't just need Just a it. blood oath? Yeah. One bodily fluid will do it. <laughs> gotcha. You know, but I mean, like, like, what that, you know, part symbolizes and all, like, that's symbolizes whatever he could have possibly have been going for, you know, in the prior. Yeah. And does everything without being, like, overly, like, graphic, heading into, like, Nabaka, you know, (laughs) territory. You know, I think uh, when we... You talk about contemporary films, my dad loves to go on about this, about how films and TV shows now are so convoluted between past and present. Jumping in time. Oh, he would hate watching a Tarantino film, right? Then. But my dad, my dad hates that. So he says, you know, they, we, they it's become so complicated he can't follow it. 
So he's one of those people. And he's a well-read man. Sure. sure. But <laughs> uh, so he, he, he has Shots a... Shots fired. He has a very... Uh, <laughs> He has a, a very opinionated um, feeling about those films that, you know, they jump back and forth in time. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about traditional it, like the book and the miniseries, those do jump back and forth in time. There's past and present. You see, you know, and it's it occurs like within the what's happening. You, you get a past and present. Um at least, with a, film, say, at least with a novel, when things usually jump back and forth, it's between chapters. It's yeah, not you get a the, little... Yeah. You know, so that break... In, you know, you're literally having a break in between so you can, you know... Yeah. Adjust to, like, if it's adjusting to time or if it's adjusting to, like, character perspective, you know... Movie, I, movies are different, like, you know, it has to be kind of edited and well-paced enough to where you can kind of, you know, go along with it. But I think, like, with, with It, this remake, it does a good job of doing what it needed to do for the kids and holding off on the adults part of it and just setting up that next part, the next part to, to run right into it because you do get that blood oath. You do understand that like Bev's leaving. So there's going to be a break in this group. You know, not everybody's going to be together and that doesn't happen. You know, when you grow up, you know, people, people leave, they go away, they leave town, they, they, they move out of your life. And so, I think it ends in a really good place because you know that this core group of people, they're already going to be broken as Bev leaves town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that that feeling like, oh, well, now we need a chapter two because something else is going to happen. You know, in 27 years, it's coming back. So you can't really kill it. So it really sets up that that next part really well. Even maybe better than having it constantly flash back and forth between past and present. No, I think a chronological order for this works much better than kind yeah. of jumping all around. Yeah. It's able to, you know, set a consistent tone throughout. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think it works really well for this. And, and I, plus it would be pretty miserable. If you, and, I mean, at least with a mini-series, a mini you can get away with jumping around. Because it's like, tune in next week for, you know, the conclusion. Here, it, you know... I mean, waiting we're not year. talking about next week. Yeah, we're no, just... it's a year or two until the next film comes out. Right. So, like, if you had to jump all around, it would be a lot harder for the second film to come in. Kind of like with Kill Bill Volume One and Two, because they jumped all around. You know, because it was meant to be one fucking entire film, but you know, the studio's like, we're not releasing a four-hour film, Quentin. You know, it's ridiculous. But even still, how <laughs> that's Tarantino style of you know constantly jumping around the narrative. It's, you know, going to be like if you're like, oh, I haven't watched it in a while. So, you know, what the hell did they leave off on? I definitely think that the the intention was that It 1 and Chapter 2 could stand on their own. So you could just see It Chapter 1 and you didn't need to see Chapter 2. But you'd probably in, be interested in seeing Chapter 2. If you saw Chapter 2 first, it'd be okay because then you could go back and see Chapter 1 and see the, you know. see And it would be interesting to, like, watch them in different orders mm-hmm. and see, you know, how that affects the the experience but i think they did a really good job of setting it up uh props to the writers who were really able to kind of disperse the storyline so that they would they could just break it up into you know here's the 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 kids and here's the adults works really well um and i'm very surprised based on the production dilemmas that it has had and the constant flow of like directors and stuff like that that it was actually able to become such a coherent film that was soup was really enjoyable as a whole um that's really 
you know, it's surprising because you don't always have that with a film that has gone through so many production issues. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it feels like, oh, OK, so this was written by like four different people. You know, it that makes sense because it seems all over the place. Um, you don't really have that with it at all. So I think it did a really good job. And those looking, you know, people have been waiting for a really good adaptation of it. And I think I think this is it, you know, from for one half of the novel. This is a great adaptation of what Stephen King originally had. And that's one of the fears. Like I said, I didn't really have an expectation or feeling going into this. But the one that I, the one that I did have is Stephen King films. Not very good track record. Yeah, not 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 really. Only a few have actually. Besides, like The Shining, Carrie, Carrie. You know, it's, um, Stand by Me. Stand by Me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And I mean, I would say that's probably about it. No, Rose Red's good. Uh, my my wife <laughs> is saying Rose Red, although that has uh, paled in in comparison once you go back and rewatch it. It really does. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, it'd be like like Cujo and like Christine. They're not like bad, but it's not like right. And, you're not and, like and you're not like Firestarter. Pet Pet Cemetery is that's good for all. Your that's... theory's not lasting right now. Yeah. Well, no, because I can name a whole bunch that aren't. Uh, like the Langoliers, if you were to go back and watch that miniseries, not very good. Uh, the stand, I would say as a miniseries is not very good and probably really does require an actual remake because, uh, there's a lot of content within the stand that they could actually, actually walk away with and, and, and do more with the bangler, uh, <laughs> the, the mangler, uh, yeah. Under the Dome as a TV series, probably not so good. So yeah, it doesn't have a great track record. I mean, you know, for everyone that has has done really well there's probably two or three that have really not done very well um and a lot of that has to do with like taking on taking it on as low budget um things like that but maximum overdrive is a really good example of one that's really not very good but still pretty fun and a lot of people enjoy it just because of it but you know from us from a technical standpoint it's not very good uh emilio estevez uh is, is in that one oh my favorite scene yes so um uh, but yeah, uh, it's not a very good track record, so that makes sense that you you know you're a little bit apprehensive. You know, will will this actually work? Even you know, the Dark Tower is a great example too. Just recently released, you know, not you know three or four weeks ago, and by I didn't truly, see truly I didn't bombed. see like any trailers or anything for it. I mean, it was uh it was big for a while. People were really excited about it. They were upset that the the uh, the gunslinger was black, Idris Elba. Um, they were <laughs> upset about that. You know, it wasn't akin to Stephen King's original novel. Uh, so that was a whole big thing. But yes, once it hit theaters, it really did not do very well. And that's probably because it was not a good representation of the Dark Tower series. It was more of a story within the Dark Tower series. And, and people didn't like that. So it's another good example of a film that doesn't really do that well. That's a Stephen King original. But... Uh, all right, so let's let's give it a rating. Out of um, ten, 10 red balloons. Wow. That just makes my, sense, right? You know, it just makes sense. You know, I thought for the opening, it just actually came. Oh, to, oh yeah, yeah. It just came to my uh, mind. 99. Luff balloons, Luff yeah. balloons, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll settle for Roy Orbison. It's not settling. I love Roy Orbison, so. And in Atomic you Bond, get- already did that twice, so. 99 oh yeah they did so so uh they already beat us to it in 2017 yeah it had the upbeat part and then the 
Yes, they already beat uh, us to that. So, uh, out of uh, ten red balloons, what do you give it? I'll give it eight red balloons. That's exactly what I was gonna give it. Eight red balloons. This is a very good movie. I like it a lot. Um, I. This is one of the rare times I think this is a film that could have been longer. I would have, after watching this, I'm like, you know, going into it, as you know, when I found out it was like two and a half hours long, I was kind of pissed. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I knew it was gonna be like this long, but just thinking, like, oh, god damn it. And it's only two hours and 15 minutes. So. But still. Yeah. After watching it, I feel like it could have used, actually, to be three hours. I wanna know why, why is Derry such a shitty place? I wanna know why the parents are so shitty. I wanna know why this bully that we briefly touch upon. Though he's constantly in the film. I want to know why he's a psycho. I want to know more about our loser group's backstory. You know, I want to, like, get into, like, the nitty-gritty of it. I think it's it's the story itself and the characters are so well portrayed for the most part that I could easily enjoy watching it be more intricate and more developed and strung out. To being a three-hour film. In fact, after watching this, I think this would totally benefit more from being a miniseries or a, a TV series, like well, a I think ten like a, episode, ten limited six, six episode, like no under the dome crap where it's like, well, this is going to be one season, but if it does well, we'll just make up shit. You know, you know what I mean? None of that. A very, you know, you say, okay, this is going to be it. You know, it's literally a miniseries. This is it. Once, yeah, this once is it. We're doing one season. It's going to be the whole series. You know, the, the whole, whole story. story. And that's it. And I would be. I think that would work incredibly well for this, because like I said, I like a, like after all the things like the subtext that when I was watching that I picked up on it. You're right. It's in the book. They just don't go into it. You know about like the racism and stuff like that. You know, like it's like you talk. Say you were saying you didn't talk about the podcast, but we were after watching the movie. You're saying how like also you know how anti-Semitism is a theme in the book too. And it's literally, like, one of the characters in this, the least developed of them all, is Jewish, and that's all his character is, and, like, he doesn't do anything else. Like, he definitely could have used, like... Yeah, more, you a, know... You know, it, development it, on, like, how, okay, so wh- uh, why is him being a, you know, Jewish person important? You know, besides, he's having a bar mitzvah that's, like, not even, like, a part of the story. Like, they briefly mention, like, oh, his bar mitzvah's coming up. I hear they chop your weenie off. <laughs> joke, you know. Right, yeah. It just becomes sort of a joke of, uh, you know, what his character is. Yeah. And, yeah I mean, I agree. That was That's pretty much the exact same reasons why I, I would give it an 8 out of 10 is that I found it very enjoyable. Um, you know, not, not, not super scary, but more so, you know, just overall fun. Not only that, it's well-paced. Well-paced. And not, not only is it well-paced, also, and especially for two and a half hour film, this film's relentless. Yes. It is, pr- there is no real stopping in this movie. There's only very few points where you're kind of getting your breath caught. It's, for the most part, this film's constantly just driving, 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 where something's happening. Something's building to, like, the next, like, tense moment. It's building to the next, like, character development. Building to, it's very persistent yeah. in its pacing. Yeah. Um, I- and I think it works, and again, it works very well. You gotta have, like, a certain tone and pace set for a film of this length for people to be captivated and want to sit and enjoy the film and I think this film does it well um, I think as we talked about earlier the acting in this is fantastic I think all the child actors in this are do a fantastic job capsulate the 
that feeling of being a child within like the late 80s to mid 90s, you know, very well. And just like how kids, even today, like how kids kind of talk, except, you know, they'd be more like fucking more modern jargon lingo. Yeah, thrown but, in, but it, you know, the the bond they have, it, it feels real and works very well. I, yeah. I think Pennywise is very good. I think he's got some really interesting and, you know, well thought out, like, you know, scary moments. I think the score is pretty good, too, you know, especially in the more tense moments and how it, like, you know, like the violin stings and kind of build and build. It's a very enjoyable film. I like it a lot. Yeah. And And I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, I, I I liked it a lot as well, and you know, besides all the, the the flaws that I listed, like you know, just not enough time to go into some characters, lacking some of the the evils of of the parents within Derry. Um, a lot of really good things are happening in this. Uh, you, character being one of them, um, it, with like Richie and Ben and Bill and Bev. Those are, those are really the, the big ones that, and the, their actors do a phenomenal job. Um, Bill Skarsgård is, is pretty creepy as Pennywise. I would have, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the actual fears of the other characters that we don't get so much, um, besides, you know, Pennywise attacking and things like that. And some of the CGI, I would, I would, um, I, I would say that they should probably cut down a little bit on that for the next film. You know, try to, try to avoid the CGI moments, and you know facial CGI effects, and go for a more physical touch to it because I think that's more effective, and I think they would they would get more mileage out of that, be a little bit scarier. It wouldn't take those you know people out of the the intensity as much as some of the CGI effects do with the leper and the the, the painting woman. Um, I will say this is one of those rare examples that a remake trumps the original. Yes, yeah. I mean, if you if you're con- if you consider it a remake. To the miniseries, absolutely, certainly a uh, a much better film in every way to to that original. Um, and like I said, I, I don't know how much I consider a remake. I know there's like a a big con- not there's not a consensus out there, but there's a lot of debate for whether this is a remake or an you know just an adaptation, and it doesn't really have much to do with the original miniseries. It doesn't really matter. We're calling a remake for for remake a ween and. And I think, you know, comparing it to the original, way better on almost every level. And I think everybody who loves Stephen King's novel will really, really enjoy this as well. And and find a lot of things very close to the novel. So go see it. It's, yeah. out, it's out now. Even the, the film that we saw, and we live in a small community. And we've said several times before yeah. watching, you know, newer films in here, how usually the theater's empty. Yeah. We're like the only two in here. It was uh, it was relatively busy for for those types of theaters with I think probably like fifteen people I would say yeah. something like that. So we went to a later show like two eight o'clock. Yeah, so that's quite a bit. You know, I would say that's that's uh that's definitely over the norm for for people going to to movie showings. So so go see it. It's a lot of fun. I think you'll really enjoy it. So what do we do next time? Next time, I knew you were going to ask me. Uh, well, we have a few options. Um, we don't have a few options. We have a fucking. We, we have, have a plethora of. We options. have a schedule. 
We have a schedule set, and now you're saying we have options, like it's a multiple choice test. Well, we never really came up with a schedule per se. We, oh, now people we know. Have... Now people know the production behind. Yeah, this. right. Yeah, we don't have a we don't have a schedule. Um, what was you had said something last week after the the show that you wanted to do as a remake, and I can't remember what it was. On the show or after? No, the show? it was. It was not during the show. It was after the show. I can't remember what it was now. There's a whole bunch. Yeah, there was a whole bunch. So we definitely aren't doing Halloween because that's we're saving for later. We're not doing Friday. We're not the thir- doing the Friday Thirteenth because there's a Friday the Thirteenth in October, and uh, we'll do it at that time. So options include Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Um. We there there's potential for things like prom night the remake, um, Hills Have Eyes the Hills Have Eyes remake could do Dawn of the Dead the remake Evil we could yep, Evil Dead the Evil Dead remake we could do Night of the Living Dead remake oh which, that's the that's one. the one I think you said that's the one um, because we were looking for something that wasn't you know a two thousands remake which yeah is that that's the majority of, of when the bo- when the boom. When the boom of the remakes. You know, there's also, uh, like, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a remake, technically. So, there's that. Is it a remake? I think, <laughs> I think for next week we're doing Night of the Living Dead. The, Tom Savini. The Tom Savini remake. Because um, I think that'll be fun. It, it ties in with the uh, Night of the Living Dead that we did previously on the podcast, so we, that's fresh in our mind. We could talk, you know, we could talk about the the original and compare it to the remake. So I think I think that's next week. Night of the Living Dead, nineteen ninety, whatever it is, version. It's not, I think it is ninety. Yeah, I think it's nineteen ninety version. Um, but I think that's that's the next one. That's the uh, that that'll be fun. And then we'll go from there because we don't, like I said, we don't have a set, <laughs> we don't have a set schedule, uh, but we definitely have a lot of films to get through and there will be uh, a double in October because you're going to get one during the week and you're going to get one on Halloween as well. Special Halloween episodes. So. Oh, they already know what it is. Yeah, that's true. They do. But, and uh, if you don't, then shame on you. That's right. But uh, we're going to have a lot of fun for remake Ween, so make sure that you keep tuning in. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcasting app that you use. We're on there. I can tell you one episode after we're done with this, what we'll be doing in November. What's that? We're doing Death Wish. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the new, the new Death Wish remake. So we saw the poster at our local theater because they had, had it up. And I, yep. I got, and got it's coming out. I got irritated. <laughs> I, um, I can only imagine what they're gonna do with do with that. I have no idea. They're gonna just make it like ultra violent, probably. Uh, so catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, everything like that. You can leave a review, nice rating for us. Appreciate that. Uh, we're on Twitter, Blood and Black Rum. Uh, tweet us. Give us uh, suggestions for new episodes, or you can email them to us at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, blood and, at uh, facebook.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. And we also are on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. You can donate to us. Remember, that's a monthly donation, so it will come out every month. So just keep that in mind when you're, you know, when you're putting in your values. Don't want you to go broke. 
Uh, other than that, stay tuned for the next episodes of Remake Ween. As I said before, we're doing Night of the Living Dead 1990 for next week. And we've got a whole slew of uh, remakes to come. So stay tuned with us through that Halloween season. Thanks a lot for listening. Take, Take care. care.